Hey, folks, I know there are lots of business owners who listen to this show. Maybe some of you never planned on running a business, but now here you are. One thing you've always got to keep in mind is how much you're spending on your operating costs. That's one of the first things we had to keep in mind with WTF. And with things costing more today than they did when we started, you want to keep your expenses down. To reduce costs and headaches, be smart and use NetSuite by Oracle, bringing accounting, financial management, inventory, and HR into one platform and one source of truth. Reduce IT costs, cut the costs of maintaining multiple systems, improve efficiency by bringing all your major business processes into one platform, slashing manual tasks and errors. By popular demand, NetSuite has extended its one-of-a-kind flexible financing program for a few more weeks. Head to netsuite.com slash WTF for more. That's netsuite, N-E-T-S-U-I-T-E dot com slash WTF. All right, let's do this. How are you, what the fuckers? What the fucknicks? What the fuck buddies? What's happening? I'm Mark Marin. This is my podcast, Ongoing. It's called WTF. We've been doing it here a long time. We've been in business since 2009. Every Monday and Thursday. Huh? Never missed a Monday or Thursday. We've done the show. We've been here for you. Planning on staying here for you. Kate Winslet is on the show today. Uh, you know who she is, obviously, Kate Winslet. She's Kate Winslet. She's in this amazing new movie currently called Ammonite. Uh, it's it's an interesting, beautiful art movie, a darkly poetic love story. I don't even know if I'd say it's dark. It takes place in the 1800s. It's about a British paleontologist who is sort of... Uh, not down on her luck, but she lives in a small southern coastal town with her mother. She doesn't have a lot of money. Uh, male paleontologists steal her discoveries and call them their own. And she was uh, supposedly brilliant. She's historically a real character, played by Kate Winslet. Saoirse Ronan plays a woman who was married to a male paleontologist who was visiting and then leaves his wife there because she's ill and can't travel. And it's what sort of unfolds in this Strange little world. I never understand why people make movies like this, but the unfolding of the love story and the unfolding of these two people who you know learn to be with each other in this very uh, difficult situation because of who Kate Winslet's character is. But it's just, it's an interesting, it, when I watched the movie, I was completely in, in, you know, enthralled with the performances, and also with the story, because I don't know who decides to make movies like this. You don't see movies like this much anymore. This type of uh, independent art film. But it's truly a beautiful movie, and it's a, it's a challenging... Um, it's not a challenging love story. It's a love story about a challenging love between these two people. And I just... Uh, I, I, I couldn't believe how beautiful it was and how well acted it was. So because I was so involved with that movie, Kate Winslet and I talk about it at length, and uh, it was very engaging. I, I'm very happy I have the job I have talking to Kate Winslet. I did some work with some tools, did some fixing around the house, got the drill out, got the screwdriver out, 
got the nails, got the hammer. Shade was falling. The trim on the window was detaching. So I had to, you know, I had to get up in there, had to find a nail, had to hammer the trim back in, then pull out the screw from the blind and rescrew it in another place because that was causing the problem. So I had to unscrew and screw. And I, you know, I learned something about tools, not unlike guitar or anything else, is that, yeah, I can handle a tool. I can handle a drill, a hammer, a screwdriver. I can, uh, I can handle the thing that you put, uh, you putty holes with. I can handle one of those. Well, a wrench, I'm okay with wrenches, sockets, socket wrenches, not a problem. I could probably handle a crowbar if necessary. I can handle a shovel, a, a pick, pick not so much. Picks are tricky. Shovels, I can rake. I can do a rake, but then I think we're just getting into yard work. I'm talking to heavy, to a sander. I can do a sander. Not great with an axe. I can play guitar, but I can't. An axe, I'm not confident with an axe. My point is, is that I can do these things and I can focus enough in the moment to get the work at hand done. But we expect ourselves to be able to do this stuff because we can handle a tool. But unless you're handling tools all the time, unless you're working with tools on a consistent basis it's going to be hit or miss all right i can do it i can focus i can get the job done but i'm not i'm not using tools all the time i'm not practiced at it i can't like drill behind my back can't do any tricks with the drill or the hammer what's my point it's crooked it's crooked i put it up crooked and now it's going to be crooked because i handled the tools but i didn't Pay as much attention as I could, because in the middle of it, there's a certain panic involved. Like, fuck, fuck, how come this screw, how come this not going in far enough? God damn, you don't notice, hey, you're about a half inch off. So this side of it is is at a little bit of an angle that I'll notice for the rest of my life. And then you just got to rationalize it, right? I personalized my house. I know it. I did the work. I'm proud of that. I did it poorly, but I did it, and now I'll see it my poorly done work for the rest of my life or as long as I'm in this house. But eventually I'll stop noticing it. Eventually things fade. People move on. We'll be reminded, but we'll move on. I was encouraged by an article in a weird way that I saw because there's a lot of explaining going on. We don't know. I don't know if this country is going to be overrun by fascists eventually. I'm very tired of people talking about like, hey, I don't want the political talk. This isn't political talk. This is the life or death of our form of government talk. That's not political. This is reality. You know, If you're not invested enough to see the truth, which is that there is a kind of crudely organized but very big fascist movement in this country american nationalists fascists they call themselves patriots yet they're fundamentally un-american because of their lack of respect for the constitution that guides this country that it's based on our democracy so they are a shameless fascist movement who believes and buys into a fundamental lie about the last election and also a mythology that is incorrect two key ingredients of fascists. How do you delude the angry people? How do you trigger them into killing? How do you get them to see everybody but like-minded people as others, as animals, as fodder, as things to be killed or gotten rid of? How do you do that? 
A lot of answers, a lot of explanations, a lot of speculation. But the one thing I can tell you is that it's happening. It's real. And I'm fucking, I got no patience for this conversation around, you know, Twitter shutting people out. Good. Good. You want to talk about censorship and all that garbage and how it's the seed of totalitarianism and it's the free press, not the free press, but it's a private company, publicly traded, private company, but it makes its own decisions. And for a company, an information distribution company, a content distributor to make a decision around filtering content that is clearly supporting a fascist movement to overthrow the government of our country. I don't know that that's censorship. That seems pretty practical because everybody wants to survive. People want the freedom to live the life they want to live. And companies want the freedom to exploit those people in a way that doesn't cause the entire fucking thing to go up in flames. I'm not saying it's not a challenging conversation, but it's not censorship in the way that the First Amendment plays into it. Go out and talk all you want. Find another outlet. I'm sorry, sad Trumpy can't just get on TV like an ordinary fucking president and use the bully pulpit there. Why he has to, because it doesn't repeat enough. He can't pound it and pound it and pound it on all levels into people's heads. Fragile people who believe the bullshit, who get triggered by his narcissism. He invented them. He invented their minds. They are extensions of him. It's not political. They may have been angry. There have always been racists and white nationalists and fucking hateful whack jobs in this fucking country. It was built by some. But he activates. He's a radicalizer. So when a private company, or many of them, who make their bucks through content distribution decide, well, this content is dangerous to everybody, that's a private company's decision. In the middle of all this, there's an interview in Scientific American. Because oh, everyone's looking for answers. What are we going to do with these people? Well, this is the only thing I've seen. And I've, I've said this before. I'm not claiming to know anything. But I believe that not unlike anything else anyone's passionate about, eventually you lose interest if it's not in your face all the fucking time. If it's not pounded into you all the time. If your tr- obsession isn't triggered constantly. If you cut the fucking head off the snake it's an interview in Scientific American with this uh, thinking human named uh, Bandy X. Lee, who is a forensic psychiatrist and president of the World Mental Health Coalition. And the question presented them, what attracts people to Trump? What is their animus or driving force? And the answer this smart human gave was, the reasons are multiple and varied, but in my recent public service book, profile of a nation, I've outlined two major emotional drives, narcissistic symbiosis and shared psychosis. Does that sound like a relationship you're in? Narcissistic symbiosis refers to the developmental wounds that make the leader-follower relationship magnetically attractive. The leader, hungry for adulation to compensate for an inner lack of self-worth, projects grandiose omnipotence, while the followers, rendered needy by societal stress or developmental injury, yearn for a parental figure. When such wounded individuals are given positions of power, they arouse similar pathology in the population that creates a lock-and-key relationship. Shared psychosis 
refers to the infectiousness of severe symptoms that goes beyond ordinary group psychology. When a highly symptomatic individual is placed in an influential position, the person's symptoms can spread through the population through emotional bonds, heightening existing pathologies and inducing delusions, paranoia and propensity for violence, even in previously healthy individuals. I'm quoting this interview with this person, Bandy X. Lee, forensic psychiatrist and president of the World Mental Health Coalition. But here's the line. Here's the line. The treatment is removal of exposure. That's the quote. Okay, how do we stop fascism? How do we stop a violent anti-American coalition being led by the president of the United States who has just been impeached for causing an insurrection. The treatment is removal of exposure. He's going to be out of office. He's been banned from social media platforms, from propagandizing. So maybe over time, that removal of exposure will settle things down. Or it's just going to be a bloody shit show for the rest of however long this fucking country survives. And I hope they keep arresting these insurrectionists and these seditionists as examples of rule of law. Anyway, Kate Winslet is an amazing actress and I had a very good time talking to her. Her new film Ammonite is now available on digital platforms and Blu-ray and in selected theaters. She's also starring in the upcoming HBO detective series, Mayor of Easttown, that comes out in April. And this is me talking to the amazing Kate Winslet. Sometimes I wish I paid more attention in school or in some cases, any attention at all. There are probably a lot of things I could have gotten more out of, like literature. And now it's probably not in the cards to go back to school and study the classics. But luckily for us, there's a new podcast called The Foxed Page that dives deep into the best books of all time. This is basically like the best possible college English class, but more relaxed and fun. No pressure of grades or needing to prepare something to say in class. It's only the books you want to read and know about presented by best-selling author Kimberly Ford. Everything from Cormac McCarthy to Madame Bovary, from classics like Frankenstein to modern hits like Lessons in Chemistry. I love Ireland, but I missed the boat on James Joyce. The Foxed Page has a three-part series on Dubliners, and that's a pretty great starting point. Want to get the most out of what you read? The Foxed Page is for you. Get it now wherever you get Get your podcasts. Kate Winslet. Hello. Hi. How are you? Super good, actually. I'm all right. How are you doing? Fine. I'd love a cup of tea in half an hour. God, the room service around here. It's just so great. What a nice husband. (laughs) He is a very good husband. Actually, that would be disturbing. Yeah, don't worry. I'll call. Did they say no? No, 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 no. Don't come in in half an hour. We will be recording. Okay, so, okay. At the end. Oh, okay. All right. No, at the end would be great. Thanks. Are you guys gonna fight, or is this gonna? No, there's no way we're gonna fight. <laughs> <laughs> we do sometimes, but it's normally over like who fed the dog, or you know, the big stuff. 
<laughs> yeah. No, we did have quite a funny argument not not very long ago, which was over something so stupid. It was like who had finished the last of a, some kind of thing I'd made in the fridge. Or, well, how far did like, that go? How how bad did that get? Not not very far. It was just like one of those dumb lockdown grumps that made uh-huh. no sense. You yeah. know, just like a complete waste of energy. Anyway. I know. I am, uh, yeah, today's, a, like, I woke up in a lockdown frenzy, just aggravated. You? No, actually, well, actually, no, I was slightly agitated because I didn't sleep very well last night. Why? What do you think? What's happening? No, nothing. I mean, no no specific reason, although I did dream that yeah. I got vaccinated and that it didn't work. Oh, So man. maybe I was woken up out of that. Well, I dreamt that they had done, that they had put the vaccination, the needle had gone into my arm. Right. But only half of the vial had gone in right. and they'd taken the needle out and the liquid was spraying all over like me all over the floor and and then no one seemed to know how to cope with it what to do yeah. so they couldn't work out whether they should revaccinate me just half a vial whether they should just discount that one and just do the whole thing all over again oh my god should it, it was very it was very it was very anxious making <laughs> just because nobody knew what the protocol was and that i found really scary well that's a, a global problem well, precisely. I mean, I was dreaming about the, wo- the world, clearly. Um, There's no anyway. protocol. Are you, what is the protocol there? Are you getting them? How's it working? So at the moment, they are, as quickly as they can, vaccinating over 90s and over 80s. Right. Um, and, and key workers and healthcare workers. Right. Um, so my father has had his vaccination. He's 81. So that's, well, that's a huge, feels like a huge relief. He's, he's had the fir- his first dose. Um, that's good. So that's it. Yeah. I mean, I don't know when everybody, you know, we'll just, we just all wait our turn, I think. Um, well, I think that's like, that, I think that's causing me the uh, the most anxiety is knowing it's out there and that they can't yeah. seem to figure out a way to get it to everybody, you know, efficiently and quickly. And we have to yeah. wait for months, you know, just living in the same system, knowing that we could get some, you know, relief. It's driving me nuts. Yeah. I know. And, I know. I know. I think Canada seemed to have... They seem to be ready to get everyone vaccinated, you know, you know, come yeah, summer. I, believe um, me, I'm I'm ready to move, but I can't even run away now. We're not even allowed well, to run away anymore. I know. It's like Justin Trudeau, Jacinda Ardern. Like, where do we go? <laughs> it's crazy, man. I know. Where are you? You're in the UK? I'm in the UK. Yeah. South Coast. We live on the south coast of England. So we are really lucky that we are we're near the ocean. We have some nice outdoor space. And um, yeah, we're 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 good. We're all right. Yeah. How many kids are with you? How many do you have there? I have three. And they're all three. at home. You know. Yes. Are they, are they going yeah. nuts? Well, no, they're not. Go- they're not actually. They're not too bad. I mean, the my daughter is twenty, so she's oh, actually okay. enormously. She's enormously helpful around the right. house. Um, and then I have a seventeen-year-old son, just turned seventeen, so he's all excited because in England you can't start to learn how to drive until you're seventeen. So that's now. Right. Um, so that although he won't be able to have an instructor, it'll just be him and my husband on you know quiet driving roads, around. <laughs> <laughs> driving around. Um, and then there's the seven-year-old who just thinks that it's so great that everyone's just around all the time. I mean, he just uh, <laughs> he's a got good all time. these people to do, yeah, all these people to do drumming and Lego with him. I mean, he couldn't be more he couldn't be more thrilled. Um, Wait, you were in the pandemic movie. What was I where? sure? I sure was. Yeah. Oh my God, that's right. Then. Doesn't end well yeah. for you. 
No, it doesn't end well for me at all. But I did have quite a lot. I did have quite a lot of fun doing Contagion, and particularly that moment because I get slung into a ditch in a body bag, which of course I had to hold my breath because it's like a plastic body bag. You can see me through, and I couldn't help but you know, almost every take, yeah, I'd open one eye and just say, "Does my bum look big in this?" <laughs> you know, yeah. Or I'd say, you know, "Do I look thin?" <laughs> just stupid, you know, typically vain nonsense crap. Yeah, but I was in I was in contagion, which, you know, I, I mean, I have to be completely honest with you. When COVID really hit, I was wearing a mask uh, way before I was in Philadelphia when we went into lockdown. I was doing a show for HBO and um, people were staring at me funny because I was right away. I was like, it's coming, people. And I was walking, you know, yeah. down the street and in the grocery store with my with my mask on. And people were a thousand percent looking at me like I was quite strange. It's so um, weird that the aversion and the weird resistance to it. I mean, people in Asia have been wearing them since SARS. I mean, they, you know, you, I used to see people on the plane, Asian people yeah. mostly wearing masks, thinking like, what's up with that? And now it's like, well, yeah. now everybody's got to do it. I don't have a problem with it. Well, I don't either. The only problem I have with it is that I just feel really sad that for a whole generation, you know, my seven year old's generation and even younger, you know, those children are going to grow up remembering wearing masks to nursery school or kindergarten you know, know. And into even... shops i mean that's what makes me sad not touching door handles right and they're, lo- but know, they're not, also hu- gonna not hugging their friends you know losing a year of or, or however long this is going to take i i don't have children so i imagine it must be very difficult to know that these formative years whatever part of their life they're in are going to be sort of you know lost yeah. that's right and i think particularly for you know young people in their early 20s i think for those individuals who you know, have been been hearing their parents say for years, these are the best years of your life, you know, right. going off to colleges and, you know, oh. really exploring yeah. their true selves. And suddenly, so you know, they're back at home with mum and dad. And, you know, so it's a, it's a it's, it's, it is sad. It's very sad. And I think it's going to be hard confidence wise for for those young people. And uh, that's, already that's, hard. that's a worry. Very, very hard, but it will continue to, I think, in coming out the other side in regaining confidence, and, yeah. you know, connecting with their true selves again. I think that will take time, I'm sure. Yeah, I find that I'm just uh, I'm 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 57, and I think that this isolation business has really helped me in connecting with my true self. It's not great, uh, but. <laughs> But, well, I don't like connecting with the side of myself that has become obsessed with sweeping the kitchen floor. Like, what is that about? It's about having a little bit of control, Kate, in, in a world that's out of control. That's true. That's very true. <laughs> that's very true. Yeah, but I like the fact that, you know, it's just me that does it because <laughs> because I'm the one that can do it the fastest. And probably the you best, know. right? You're the best at it? I don't know, actually. My 17-year-old is a pretty good floor sweeper, I've got to be honest. <laughs> Competition. Competition going on. Well, at least on. you're having a good time. I mean, yeah. like, I just realized when I was looking at stuff about you that you're, like, you're, going, you're doing this, uh, this arc with, uh, with Cameron. You're in this Avatar movie, right? This new one? Like, you yes. know, you're back with that guy, you know, yes. at this point. <laughs> the reason I, I bring it up is because he had me come down there to audition for something, to look at me for something. I had to go down there to that city he built, the Avatar yes. City. And Manhattan it was just, Beach, yeah. Right. But it was the weirdest thing. It's like, you know, I walk in and he's like, well, we've got, uh, we've got actors working here all the time just, uh, you know, flying around and stuff. So if you want to just 
come into a set and we'll just do it. I was like, what the fuck is happening here? So like, have you been, what do you, have you spent time down there? And is he, is he making like what, 20 movies at once? What's happening? I, 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 to be honest, I slightly lost, lost track of how many he is making at once. I did, I did two at at once in tandem um, with, with him. And, uh, uh, and, and all of my work was actually in 2018, but they're still shooting it. They're shooting the live action portion of it now. And obviously they were held up because of COVID, et cetera. Um, but it was, you know, it's, yeah, you're right. It's an extraordinary experience. You know, you, you sort of go into this, what feels like a huge souped up aircraft hangar yeah. where anything is possible. You want to fly today? You want to, you know, you want to get on an ELU? You want to do some spear fighting underwater? Sure. Okay. Yeah, we'll do that. You know, it's like, <laughs> Um, but it was, I mean, it was wonderful for me uh, just to be part of something that such a well-oiled machine with great people, you know, incredible technicians and artists and, um, to be part of such a fantastic story, you know, were you doing a lot of underwater work? Yeah. I had so most of my work was, um, was uh, underwater. Yeah. Not just on the water or in it, but under it. Um, and I, I loved all of that. I worked with some extraordinary performers who um are Cirque du Soleil water performers right. who who did a lot of the doubling work underwater so to be honest I spent a lot more time with those people actually than um than than some of the actors um and it was just incredible I mean just the, the training and the whole process and, and he's uh, got that like he's got like a little museum set up where he's got the Titanic down there yeah, he has, which I didn't get to go into. My husband and my children were like, oh, wow, mom, we saw your dress from the blah, blah, blah. I'm like, that still exists. I'm like, oh, I was convinced I trashed that. Um, um, yeah, he's got the boat and everything. Yeah, 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 yeah. They, they, there's, a, there's, a whole, uh, there's, a whole, there's a whole visual archive down there, which is quite apparently quite spectacular. What, did, what, like, what was it like, you know, just hooking up with that guy again, though? I mean, that's like, how many years is that? It, it, I mean, the intensity of whatever you guys went through when you were a kid, it must, like, it, it must be either post-traumatic or exciting or at, least, at the very least emotional. Um, it was really, you know, it was amazing to be, it was amazing to be collaborating with Jim again, because, you know, we're both older, so much time has gone by. Um, but also with Avatar, He's got a lot more time to make that 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 piece clearly. than he ever had with Titanic. Yeah, clearly, obviously, <laughs> still, still filming two and, years. and a half years later. <laughs> yeah, years later, um, and um, and so I think, and I I, I think there's just a, a process that he's entered into a, a rhythm that is just you know it's just really quite relaxed and also because he's so intricately connected with that entire world because he created it right. Um, that there's a sort of a confidence in him um, that sort of breeds collaboration and conversation. And it's, it was great. It was a really, you know, he, I'd walk, I walk, I remember walking into the room on the sort of first day of rehearsal and lots of actors were there all sat around a table. And I yeah. was quite nervous because I thought well, most of them had been in the first one, you know, 10 years ago and all known each other forever. So I walk into the room and Jim said, I just need to warn you before we go any further, we've all drunk the Kool-Aid. So you will be speaking nut V you know, within the next half an hour. And, uh, <laughs> and I thought, I wonder, what, what does he quite sort of mean by that? But, but you know, there's a, there's a proper immersive experience to be had there. And um, it was quite fascinating. And uh, I, I loved being part of it. It was, you know, really very special time. Well, did, did you know, like, has he changed a lot? I mean, I don't know what the process was with Titanic. And I know you were so much younger. But, like, I he struck me when I met with him. I 
it was almost surreal because like I, I I couldn't believe I was meeting with him. But he seems very intense, but very accessible. But I, like, did you find mm. like did you guys fall into a, a groove, or has he changed? You know? Yeah, he's definitely changed. But I think what you just said is really interesting. Like, very intense but accessible. Absolutely. You know, yeah. he's like a he's like a scientist. Jim is a, you know, I, right. I, I I've always said if ever there was a global crisis. There is one person I'd want to be with, and that's Jim Cameron. And that's re- that remains the case. Where <laughs> just, is he now? Um, just, um, but that remains the case. He just, just to make you feel knows. better, or to you, or do you think no, he's he got some magic? Knows the, he, he he has some magic, or he always knows what to do. He, you know. But what I will say, what I will definitely say, is that, and this was a true change that I saw in him that made me laugh and made him laugh as well. He would never admit when he'd gotten something wrong. Uh, and that's completely changed. So on Avatar, we were doing this water work and they were trying to build quite a complicated sort of bridge floating, lowering floating bridge structure um, for the camera. And Jim was like, no, it needs to be like this. Trust me, I've done this a thousand times before. Do this, do this, do this, do this. And then it 100% didn't work. And then <laughs> and he very quickly was like, okay, well, that blows. My bad. And then he sort of, Rejigged it and moved on, but that was a definitely a new character trait. I was like, "I'll get you admitting that you had wow. an idea that didn't work." Yeah, it was really cool. It was really cool. Well, yeah. Well, you would think you know you work on something for like ten years that you you would be humbled by attempts uh, that didn't yeah. quite pan out. But like, how old were you when you did Titanic? I I turned twenty one on that shoot, and Leo turned twenty two, and I'm now forty five, and he's forty six. I I interviewed him. With uh, with Brad Pitt, it was the two of them. It was crazy. Oh my god! And they had just come out of some other event, and they were all electric, you know. So two major movie stars being electric, and I'm just sitting there trying to get my tape mach- my recorder to work. But he, <laughs> Leo, really brought up. He said that he knew the exact day and time that that his life changed, you know, because of Titanic. Like he said, that oh, wow. he, like he remembered the day he walked out of his house to go to the store and there was a satellite truck there, <laughs> you know, ready to oh, film. Oh my God. Him. Yeah. Yeah. But, but you seem you like that was a moment for you where you just were you you just bailed on it. But you knew that could happen. Well, I well, I think I I mean, when you say bailed on it, it's really funny. I think I went into self-protective mode mm-hmm. right away because the similar thing happened to me, although it wasn't a satellite truck. It was just, you know, cars and cars full of, you know, British tabloid photographers who were photographing me, you know, going and buying a pint of milk and a newspaper. Right. Um, and that was just weird. I mean, I, it was it was it, it was like night and day from, you know, one day to the next. Um, and And also I was subjected to quite a lot of um of sort of personal physical scrutiny and i was criticized quite a lot the british press were actually quite unkind to me mm. um and i felt i felt quite bullied if i'm honest yeah and i remember just thinking okay well this is horrible and i hope it passes <laughs> and it did and it, and it did definitely pass but it also made me realize that if that was what being famous was i was not ready to be famous thank you no definitely not so so and also the other thing, too, was that because I was so young, you know, it's all very well being in a huge, great film and being Oscar nominated and so blessed and all of those things that I was saying and saying and saying over and over again. But I was still learning how to act. I'd only been doing it since I was 17. And so I still felt like I wasn't really ready to do lots of big Hollywood jobs. It was a huge responsibility. I, you know, I didn't want to I didn't want to make mistakes. I didn't want to blow it. 
Right. I wanted to be in it for the long game, you know? Right. So I did strategically um, try and find smaller things just so I could understand the craft a bit better and also understand myself a bit better and, and maintain some degree of privacy and, and dignity and, and try to you know, have all those life. things that were totally, yeah, and exactly. Yeah. Um, and then I had my, my daughter when I was 25 and sort of all of that sort of stuff kind of evaporated a bit in terms of feeling watched and whether I cared about it. I just, that just all kind of went away. Really? You think they were like, well, my not... focus was my child, you know, and that was all that mattered. Oh, oh, I thought you were saying that they weren't interested in you. Well, she's got a kid now. Let's move on. Well, they, yeah, they, they were definitely, they were definitely less interested in me at that point. That's for sure. <laughs> and that's the 20 year old. Yeah. She's 20 now. Yeah. But yeah. like, so like at that point you say you've only, you were only acting a few years, but yeah, I mean, it seems that you were surrounded by actors all the time that you grew up in a, a world of actors. Well, I did and I didn't, you know, it's really interesting with British actors, you know, because, because, well, in my case, you know, because I speak well, people often think there's a sort of a huge pedigree and training that comes underneath me. And actually, you know, I was from a fairly working class background and grew up in a crowded terraced house on a busy main road in, in Reading, Berkshire, where I'm, where I'm from. And my dad was an actor, but believe right. me, he was also, he was also a Christmas tree seller. He was a postman. He was a, he worked for a tarmac firm, you know, he, he drove a van for a small company. Of so people. he was like a, he, a frustrated actor. Absolutely. Very, very much so. Well, then my question is like, you know, like it's like people who, and uh, I'm just using this as a comparison. Like if you grow up in a house where somebody smokes and, and, you know, either you become a smoker or you end up hating smoking. So like, you know, seeing the struggles, <laughs> you know, your father was going through as an actor, was it, well, I did, just well, I just imagined that I would have I would struggle as well. So I would I, I I actively remember thinking to myself, okay, I've got to get a decent, pay, a well paid part time job with a nice boss who lets me take time off if I have to go on auditions. I really remember thinking that. How old? But were I you? never anticipated uh, about fourteen. So you knew you wanted to do it. Like your father was. Did your mother act as well? No, my mother was not an actress. No, but she, funnily enough, she was the woman who put up with actors. She was the woman who tolerated it all. <laughs> oh, my poor, poor mum. But her, but her parents. This is very odd because she really was quite shy. My mother, yeah, um, and never would have wanted to act. But her parents were actually both actors, which oh. is which is strange. And she had she had four brothers and a sister, and and a couple of her brothers were actors as well. And my father was a friend with one of her brothers, which is why they then met. Um, it's sort of interesting. It's kind of like that weird kind of, uh, you know, you, you, you kind of, you get in relationships with, with, with things that are comfortable from your childhood. So she was sort of stuck in an actor loop because her dad was I know. Was a... <laughs> it's, I, it's funny. I mean, there must be something in the genes. I don't know, because, you know, my older sister, my older sister acts, my younger sister she has five children and my younger sister, but she is also an actress when she's not being a parent. So it's just sort of everywhere, really. My daughter is now an actress. I mean, it's kind of just mad. It is crazy. Are they, it I is mean, crazy. I mean, how come you haven't like all worked together? Have you? Like the, you and your um, sisters? No, no, we haven't. I think I'm probably going to work with my daughter in about a year's time. Oh, yeah. Um, there's, some, there's something that's come up. Yeah, she's good. My she's going to play your daughter? She's good. Is she good? She might. She might. She's really good. She's yeah. really, really good. She's a lot better than I was at her age. Bloody hell. I mean, I was, you know, I, she's really, she's really, um, she's quite grounded and um, very sort of just, I don't know. She's very unafraid. I feel I was much more afraid and tentative when I was her age. 
Were you self conscious? Well, it seems like you must have been self conscious if you knew enough to know that when you found the the success, it would have you know launched you into blockbuster uh, movies forever. You decided that you weren't quite good enough. Well, I decided I knew I didn't know enough. I just I just knew that I didn't know enough. Yeah, you know, I still had still had lots to learn. You know, um, but I think because I hadn't been trained, you know, I left school when I was sixteen and I got lucky, so I had a slight insecurity that people also because of that British thing and speaking very well, people assumed that I had this training, this sort of you know underpinning of you know wealth of knowledge, and I didn't at all. When were the first roles? I did a I did a television job when I was sixteen years old at a sitcom, and then I did I was cast in. Peter Jackson's film Heavenly Creatures when I was 17 well, that was and that, that was movie. the first film I ever did. Yeah, yeah, that was the first film I ever did. And then I did Sense and Sensibility when I was 19. I love Melanie. Do you talk to Melanie still? Um I haven't spoken to her for a while but we've loosely kept in touch over the years. Yeah. I did a show with her. I did a scene with her in a show. Oh, uh, did you? She's yeah. so great. Yeah, she is. She's a wonderful actress. God, she's so good. She's so good. Well, you guys in that movie, that movie was like, you know, it, it was one of the, like, I I feel traumatized watching that movie. Like, I, 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 like, I remember the movie as being, having a profound emotional effect on me. <laughs> Must you know, have it's a one. really, it's, that's interesting. I mean, it, yeah, it had a, a hugely emotional effect on me. I mean, I was 17 years old and as, as a first, as a first experience, as a first, first one out of the gate, just experience yeah. of playing a part in a film because of the nature of the story and, and, and playing those, those two real life characters, it had to be incredibly immersive. Right. So it taught me so much about just the process of acting and building a character and preparation and focus and, right. you know, all, all of those things, which, you know, which really stood me in, in quite good stead in terms of, you know, a short, sharp injection of sort of education um, and, and how was Peter as a as a director? Did he did he? Oh, he was amazing. He was just. It was like a. It was like, you know, it was like working every day with your you know your big brother or your, right. your dad. Or I mean, he was he was very, um, he was very connected to me and 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 Melanie as a, as a friend and just w- really really looked after us. The whole experience was was very powerful and and emotional and. Um, and uh, it was a you know small independent film made in New Zealand. We filmed in most of the real locations that things oh. have actually taken place, and it's you know it's, it's 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 a it's a real murder story. And you know we 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 filmed in 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 those places, and that you know that has a that has a that has an effect on on you as a young person. You know, very special experience. Yeah, and as somebody who's immersed in the emotions of the actual story, to go to where all that stuff is has got to be some weird ritual. Of yeah, uh, yeah. Uh, so if you weren't trained, like, where did you pick it up? Like, you weren't like. Did you see your dad work? Did you go to see your dad in shows? Did you spend time at the theater as a kid? I did. I spent time at the theater. Yes, I did. Um, I was in a sort of a, you know, a kind of a, a kid's you know, drama company, theater company. So you had so some stage of... chops. I mean, you knew yeah, the I had, I'd, I'd, exp- I, I'd, I'd experienced the feeling of standing on a stage in front of a big audience and yeah. being completely terrified, but <laughs> feeling a huge buzz, you know. I definitely <laughs> yeah. had done that. But but when I became an actress, I never imagined I would, you know, be, on, be in films or even on television. I just assumed that... I would have a sort of a struggling, hopefully interesting life in the theater. Yeah. So the fact that suddenly I was doing films yeah. was totally mad. So where'd you, you pick know? up the, did you just learn on the job then? I mean, was that the process? Cause I, I tried yes. to, 
Really? I learned on the job. Yeah. But like even talking about heavenly creatures where you're sort of like, you know, you, you know, making choices and 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 sort of, uh, you know, figuring out how to get, get these tools. I mean, how did who gave you those? Who told you those were the this is how you do? Well, it? I, well, I, I, I mean, I, you know, I, I honestly I, I watched and I learned and I right. made mistakes and learned from them, you know. Yeah. Um, but also I had. You know, I, I, I had some fortunate moments with great actors early on. You know, I did Sense of Sensibility when I was 19 years old, working with Emma Thompson and Alan Rickman. Yeah. And just learning how to, you know, how to sort of conduct yourself on a film set and how to be with other people and behaving in a respectful, you know, collaborative way, um, you know, which I, I was already instinctively doing, but seeing it, from actors who were much more experienced and wiser and older than myself, that was one of the greatest things of all because it was it was that that really set me up for Titanic. You know, when I did Titanic, I didn't have any delusions of grandeur. I was going to work. I was playing a part. You know, right. and people would say to me, "Oh my God, it's such a big film," and I'd think, "Oh God, don't don't say that. It's, it doesn't make any difference whether it's big or small. I'm I'm. It's the same. The work is the same." Yeah. And I had already learned that work ethic thing um, by watching other actors and from and being Emma around and... other actors from Emma and Alan. Yeah. I mean, but they're like, it strikes me that Emma's classically trained, right? Probably. Yeah, she is. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So, like, you know, that I mean, that's a whole different approach. You're basically like saying. And I, you know, and I'm not. This isn't in a judgmental way, only because, like, I've been try, I've been doing some acting. Is that you know, you come to it that your emotional availability as an actress is something that you engage sort of naturally. You don't like so to actually learn the professionalism of it, or to because like Emma is a great actress, but she's going to approach it differently than you, I would imagine. You know, in terms of putting together. I mean, everyone, you know, everyone has a totally different approach and a sort yeah. of a completely different process you know um and also that changes all the time even changes for me all the time depending on you know depending on the the nature of of the role i suppose but yeah but i've definitely definitely learned on the job and still do i still do honestly there are still things that fascinate me well i mean i watched the the new movie uh ammonite is that how you say it ammonite yeah ammonite yeah and uh like it's like it's a very kind of powerful poetic sparse movie you know, but it's so like, you know, intense and it's great. You're great in it. Searsha's great Thank in it. You. The movies it's one of those movies where I watch, I'm like, who would think to tell this story? You know, like where yeah. where does this come yeah. from? But it's actually based on a real person, huh? Yeah, that's right. So it's it, it is it is based on on real people and a, a real person. Mary Anning, who I play, was um she was a, a very significant female paleontologist of her time. Our film is set in 1840 on um, the Jurassic coast of England, the south coast of England. Is that where you shot it? So near where you are now? Uh, it's about two hours from where I live. Mm. Um, and the coastline there is largely unchanged. It, it, it recedes every year. It's sort of quite a chalky lime cliff face and yeah. they regularly have cliff falls there. Uh, Mary Anning was a formidable woman in a world of science and geology that was dominated by men who would, these men would buy her finds and reappropriate them as their own discoveries, you know, actually put their name on her, on her work. Right. Um, and she, she lived a life of, of extreme poverty and, and, and struggle, but she was brilliant at what she did. She found her first ichthyosaur when she was only 11 years old. She and her brother, it took them over a year to dig it out. Um, 
And she was responsible for some very significant pioneering discoveries. But because she was a woman, no one ever knew anything about her. Um, and even today, you know, if you if you Google Mary Anning or you try and find a book about Mary Anning, you know, you will be able to find things about her finds, about her work that have been subsequently written over the years. Um, but there's very little known about her personal and private life. There's a lot known about her childhood. She because of how she lived in this extreme extremely impoverished way with her mother and her father who died when she was only 10. Her, her father had taught her everything she knew about fossil finding. Um, and she had a, quite a close connection with, with him. She, she had several siblings die. When I say several, like six, um, six siblings died and two even before she was born, you know, of smallpox, you know, sort of poverty illnesses. And so the love story between yeah, you and so that Saoirse's was invented, right? Is it is invented? Yeah. So, so, wait, so, so there's really nothing known. Do do people know no, if she was? No, there's nothing. There is nothing historically documented at all about Mary Anning's personal intimate relationships with with women or men. There huh. is nothing documented. And Francis Lee, the writer and director of the film, um, he came to feel that in telling this story. He wanted to give Mary a relationship, a partner who felt worthy of her because she was such an extraordinary, quiet, but formidable woman. And because she existed in a world that was dominated by men, he didn't feel that it would have been right to pair her with a man because that's, that was the thing that she was sort of struggling against in many ways, living in this very patriarchal society, yeah. patriarchal world. Um, and so it felt right to pair her with a woman. And what I really love about the story and, uh, and about the, the, the film, I've only seen it once, but what I really appreciate about it is the connection between these two women that comes out of work, you know, at a time when we so often see on film, you know, women in, in marriages to men who are wealthier than them or they're married off because they need financial security or to have children, to literally right. bear children, to become a parent. But actually exploring this different, this different, this different type of woman, telling this different story about someone who worked and worked and worked for every single thing that she had and the connection these women formed through the work and their mutual fascination and love for it. Um, that to me was something really quite unusual and, and wonderful and that they they fall in love as a result of their connection over over ammonites, over the world of fossils and geology. Right. But I mean, but I mean, the way you describe it, you know, is different than like my experience seeing it, because my experience was that that Saoirse's, the character's husband, was in the same profession as you. And she was sort of mm -hmm. lost and repressed and, you know, kind of. um didn't quite know who she was and sickly and, and you get mm. stuck with her and you, you know, are, I, there's something about the characters, your characters relationships with rocks and with this process of, of unearthing these dinosaur pieces uh, and her sort of um, her hardness. I mean, it's a very hard character, but it becomes such a, a, a an emotionally deep, that when when the relationship finally consummates into something that is you're able to release some emotions, 
it's it's incredibly you know moving um mm, because mm. it's such a quiet movie and i i don't even like yeah. I, your performance i mean you don't talk that much no <laughs> And, I know, you know, I and, know. And all the framing of what you're saying about this woman's role in the world, it's really obscured by the fact that she's living in this like gray life where she just goes out and hammers rocks out there to find things. Like, mm. you know, I can see how it all fits together in the museum and stuff, but her actual day to day life seemed yeah. something, you know, akin to like, you know, there was some, oh, God, the longing of the whole thing was really mm. too much. So, how do you like talking about work? I mean, how do you look at that story? I mean, I see how you just explained to me the story and how you read it. But I mean, do, do you rely completely on, on what's written to kind of find your way emotionally in that thing? Well, you know, Mary Anning, uh, when we see her in the film, she's in her she's in her early 40s. Yeah. Um, she actually died at the age of 47. Eventually, Mary Anning, sadly, of, um, of breast cancer. Um, but. You know, we meet her at a time in the story where she is tired. She's living alone with her mother in quite an isolated private world. You know, she was never socially very confident or comfortable anyway, largely right. because people just thought she was this mysterious woman who dug up sea monsters. You know, there was a there was an air of sort of, well, is she a witch or what? You know, what is she? <laughs> so she had sort of retreated from society right. and hidden herself hidden herself away. And as you, as you point out, Charlotte Murchison, played by Saoirse Ronan is brought to Mary because she's very unwell and therefore considered not strong enough for the rigors of an overseas journey that her husband, who's also a scientist, is about to make. So yeah, as you say, he dumps her and leaves her behind for Mary to, to mentor, care for. And Mary really only accepts this position because she needs the money. Right, <laughs> so, yeah. <laughs> it's, which is so tragic really and sad that mary was so desperate for money but but then charlotte becomes very ill and it's through nursing charlotte back to health almost like she was her own child um that mary realizes that she does feel for this woman she 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 feels this woman's sadness there's something that's happened in her life that has made her quite closed off and lonely and so they connect in this strange sort of um, fractured, lonely world that they've both been been living in, um, and then as you say, you know, Mary, th there isn't a lot of talking. Mary doesn't speak very much in the film, and it's really interesting when people point this out to me because, of course, for me, there's a lot going on in her head and her mind all the time. There was a lot of story to be told, and the script was very visual, very detailed in its description of you know, just the space, the atmosphere in the room, the sounds of the birds, the crackle of the fire, the crashing of the waves. It was a very, very detailed, um, right. textured script when I first read it. And I absolutely loved it for those reasons. But yes, you're right. The, the, the longing and the very gradual connection between these two women that grows through the affection they have for one another and, and the work that they're doing together out on those beaches and Mary teaching Charlotte what she can and what she knows. Yeah. Um, and, you know, it's a story about self-discovery because who we choose to love can end up defining who we are. And at the end of the film, Mary and Charlotte as individual women are quite different to the women that you meet at the beginning of the story. And I, and I love that about it. I really appreciate that about the film.
I didn't know what to expect, and I hadn't seen a movie like that in a long time. I don't feel like they make movies like that much anymore. Where yeah, uh, and and there's mm. a poetry to it, and there's sort of a a visual sensibility that's obviously very articulated and and thought through, and and also like you know once you guys consummate you know your love and and the sexual scenes you know are 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 graphic and profound but earned and not gratuitous in any way but you know but you know very respectful and very raw you know that to see both of those mm. women explode in that type of energy and then kind mm. of regroup is it's pretty that must have been insane to shoot i mean i've been on sets where you know they're closed sets but it must have been sort of like all right everybody out well i mean this you know i think what was wonderful for Sersha and I yeah. about the two people playing the, as these the, the, the actors playing these parts was that we we were able to access in our um, preparation letters real love letters that were written between women women who were actually in marriages to men right but but were quietly connecting in a sort of a sisterhood way that spilt over into intense friendship that then would become very intense, intimate sexual yeah. relationships that would last a, a, a lifetime. Huh. And so we wanted to, in very, very detailed um, oh, that's right, information in, the, in these letters that we that we were able to access. You have that, that other relationship with the woman in town that seems loaded and that might have, like, it, it's not quite explained, but it's understood. Yeah, it's very right. clear that Mary Anning had a previous connection with Elizabeth Philpott, right. who was also a real character in history, by the way, who lives locally in the town. So, um, but you know, one thing that Sersha and I really did feel, and and, and talking about the film now, um, you know, it's I've I've learned I've just learned so much about what happens when you remove the heterosexual stereotypes from a mm. film, you know, right. and how in films. So often we objectify women in a very automatic way, almost yeah. like we're breathing without even thinking about it. And because we didn't have the objectification of women in any way in our film, it was utterly equal and connected because of the love these two, um, these two people share for each other. Um, for me, it was almost like a breath of fresh air. You know, there was no leader. You know, so often you read a heterosexual love scene on mm. paper in a script and the man is often the one who's wooing and leading and the woman is flirting or wanting to be sort of taken in some way. You know, th these 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 things are very automatically written. Right. Um, or, or very often when reading a heterosexual love scene on paper, it will say something like the woman's on top, dominating now. Right. Why does she? Why can't she just know what she wants? Why does she have to be dominating? You know, right. and then we get this sort of generalized description of the woman as a whole in a way that we would never get that same description of a, of of the male counterpart. Right. And we didn't have any of that in Ammonite, and that for me was new. It was really new, and right. I I just uh, it was like a that's I interesting. Know, it was a, a, just a, a it was very interesting, and it was a relief to be part of something that was you know, utterly equal and connected and safe because of those things. Right. And because like you don't really it, it's almost a surprise to everyone when it kind of happens, when it finally consummates. Yeah. And yeah. and also there's so many layers of clothing involved. It's hard to objectify. <laughs> That's true. They did wear a lot of clothes in those days. So therefore, there were a lot of things that needed to come off. That is correct. Well observed. But no, but I mean, the uh, when when it does happen, I like I don't know that I would have thought about it like that because you know I'm not thinking about it coming from the angle that you are. But especially given 
your history with the pushback against the type of objectification, I think, that like it seems mm. that early on you realized that you didn't want to have anything to really do with that kind of um, the way that show business or movies puts people or women in that position. Well, I think I certainly, you know, what's really interesting to me, you know, I look back on my 20s and things that people would say about me when I was still trying to figure out who the hell I was, like quite honestly. What? Well, you know, curvy Kate, you know, people would talk about me as being different because I was, you know, slightly bigger than average. Meanwhile, I was like a, I don't know, a size six or what. I have no idea. But but that stuff was so shocking to me because I would then push back and say, well, this is just who I am. Well, then I was labeled as being ballsy. Huh. Then I was labeled as being, you know, strong, headstrong. <laughs> no, I'm just telling you that. Um, that I like carbs. Yeah. What's wrong with that? Right. <laughs> you know, yeah. but that's changed now, Mark. You know, that's one area I would say that I think we are doing globally a little better is that we are celebrating real women much more. You know, back in those days in, in the 90s, you know, Hollywood was, was you know, completely riddled with, um, with, with very, very slender women who were, you know, in a way that was perhaps not entirely balanced or perhaps quite right and i think that's gone a bit now i think we're i think that's true i think we're much more able to not comment quite so much not judge you know back in those days we were judging 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 all the time and that and, and you were doing it to yourself as well because you know the the fix was in on your brain i imagine i mean i think it's a it's a woman's struggle many women struggle just it, without acting just in life to to accept themselves yeah and 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 I, I that that's true and i would definitely say that you know that that you know what doesn't kill you makes you stronger and i do feel now you know as the woman who has played mary anning in this film and in being a part of those scenes that we've just been talking about i feel very proud of my 45 year old self you know i've had three children i am who i am this is a different me, different physical me to the one that I was in my early 20s, et cetera, et cetera. And I really, I really felt privileged to be a part of those scenes and not hide any of my true self. And, and even in the film in general, just the way, you know, the way my face is now, the, you know, I have the wrinkles and crunkles that exist on my face now. I'm proud of those things, you know, the, the age in the backs of my hands that I've loved and lost and care yeah. for you know yeah I, I i i really really value and appreciate being able to show all of those things without censorship and um without hesitation as well you know um there's a lot to be said for that and maybe i am confident enough to do that now you know whereas i definitely wouldn't have been when i was younger well yeah there's a fine line as you get older between confidence and not giving a fuck anymore about certain things <laughs> Yeah, 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 yeah. That's true. I got to remember that. Yeah, there's a, isn't there a saying where when you're a woman at a certain point you have to choose between your ass and your face or something, something like that. I just, <laughs> but I just, I'm just finding with so many things that used to seem so important, you know, you get to a certain age where you're like, how the hell was that? Was I so hung up on that? Yeah, 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 yeah. You, you know, but I, I thought all that, uh, all those scenes in the movies were, were, were played very, you know, honestly, and you could feel the honesty of, of, of the uh of the acting and, and of being in those moments like it really is a, a special movie and i and and you explaining it to me in the context of you know cultural objectification and whatnot is really 
that I mean that's powerful as well because I I felt what I felt watching the entire movie and I and I found it to be uh, something unique in terms of how it depicts women just period you know in terms of films. oh that well I I mean I'm really you know that's I'm really thrilled to 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 hear that you know because because for me it's 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 a it's a story about two people who fall in love and the fact that they are both women is never explained or addressed with any degree of secrecy or fear and for me that's quite important because you know by telling a story in that way i think we're contributing to hopefully normalizing same sex connection in films and and perhaps you know the progression of how audiences view lgbtq people in their relationships will slip much more into our mainstream if we're able to tell stories in this way without making secrecy or fear part of the narrative or fetishizing that that wasn't part of exactly you know which is just a dated way of thinking quite frankly i i agree but at this point like because it's sort of interesting i was talking to my producer about it you know these the the type of women that you have played in your life i mean yeah you know, and I, I don't know who I can't remember what other actress I asked this, that you do collect a certain amount of of personas. I think that you've moved through a lot of feminine persona. I think I asked Glenn Close about this. You know, what stays with you? You know, because if you look at even going into like uh, Eternal Sunshine, do you feel that all these women have moved through you? I mean, do you when you look at the women you've played, the different types of women? Yeah, I do a bit. I do. I do. And and it's interesting because when I do look back over my career, you know, I always can remember exactly what was going on in my life at the time that I was playing a certain role. And and and, and at the time, I would have had no concept of the fact that actually I was definitely channeling a personal something through a character or or was playing that role. Well, what was that during Eternal Sunshine? My own life. What was it? What were you going? Um, during it. Oh, during Eternal Sunshine, I'd had my daughter. I was feeling really independent. You know, I'd moved to New York. It was uh, just like a time of kind of, you know, fun, crazy. You know, just I just felt sort of like I don't know, effervescent with life. Yeah. And that definitely all came through in that character. Yeah. Um, but I, I do feel I do feel like you know. Yeah, these women sort of, you know, they, they definitely sort of move through me in some way. Some of them are harder, you know, to get rid of than others if like I've been really ones? immersed in them. Or, Well, it was quite hard to get rid of Mary Anning, actually, I'll be honest, um, just because it was quite an immersive experience. She's just so different to me. You know, how she physically moves is totally different to me. So reigning in my own quite busy energy and finding that sort of stillness and precision to her was something that, you know, I didn't, I I couldn't just sort of do it on the day, you know, that came with all the preparation and learning how to fossil hunt and learning how to use all of her old tools and understanding her life and, you know, living the rhythm of her life, you know, separate to my own family, which was weird. (laughs) Right. So those were your decisions, you know, about how she moved, like they were conscious that, you know, that. Yeah. Yeah. That you yeah, had to shut were. these things off in yourself in order to yeah. find her. Yeah, and it was very weird. And and there were days when I would think, well, I'm sure I didn't do anything that was any good today. You know, I'd go home and think, well, people might watch this film and just think, well, Kate Winslet's just not even doing anything. Because I felt like I was being so different to my true self. Oh, it was um, heavy. It was so heavy. It, 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 did, it, it certainly didn't read like you weren't doing anything. It was sort of like, oh, yeah, it's the, he- the heavy energy, that sort of like bolted pack horse energy that, yeah, she, that yeah. she has that was quite hard to create every day. You know, I sort of had to do lots of dancing at the oh, end really? of the shoot. I just sort of, yeah, yeah. 
and then and then crazy what, dancing in the kitchen to get rid of it, you know. <laughs> but when you were in it, what did you have to focus on in order to get there? Like her tools, the chair. I mean, yeah, what... I, I I had her. Yeah, so I so I worked with all of those old tools. I, I I really did learn enough to be able to fossil find myself. I actually found a piece of an ichthyosaur skull myself and was able to identify that that was what it was <laughs> and the part of the skull that it was. It was actually the a bit of an eye socket, uh -huh. and I was very proud of that. And I found a lot of ammonites. Um, so I was very proud of those two, which I have new so hobby. All of them. Uh, it was a little bit. I did get a little bit. I can't walk on a beach now without immediately scouring amongst <laughs> the stones, even if I know there's going to be nothing there because it's the wrong part of the country. It's just become automatic. Um, but which it was a wonderful thing to do, actually, you know, to really explore what is beneath your feet on some of those beaches. And by the way, we filmed on the beaches where Mary would have worked. Uh -huh. Um and I trained on those beaches as well. So to truly be walking in her footsteps was an enormous blessing. Um, and I just tried to live as much as I could um, in, a, in a way that was sort of similar to, to how her rhythms would have been. I lived, I lived alone from a Sunday night till a Friday night in this, you know, quite blustery, cold, rattly cottage um, in Lyme Regis. Do you feel like this was the most in-depth you got with building a character, looking back on all the characters? Well, I mean, you know, I always have to sort of concentrate quite a lot, but it was definitely up there with, you know, like you know, the sort of the handful that I can think of that have sort of been quite tough, like Mildred Pierce, Revolutionary Road, The Reader, it was up there with 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 that that little handful. It's yeah. those, it's interesting because those are the the inner life of those characters is really sort of what you're protecting from the surface, and that's what's bringing it to life in its in a, in a way, right? Well, that's right. Because so often, you know, with those characters that I just mentioned, and it's the same with Mary Anning. It's 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 all it's all her internal stuff and her internal world yeah. that is actually driving the character. Um, and so, you know, you can't just sort of invent that on the day you, you know, there's definitely a certain degree of layering and preparing and, 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 and really exploring what those things are that make that person, the person that the audience hopefully sees. That's interesting. Um, Cause like the character in like little children, that's a person who's, whose inner life was um, naive. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. You're right. That's a great description. Yeah. Her inner life was completely naive and fa and fantastical, utterly fantastical and sometimes even unhinged, you know? Huh. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> That's a long time ago. I turned 30 on that film. At the end of that shoot, I turned 30. What was going on in your life that day, during that time? No, actually, I was kind of I was kind of doing quite well then. I was yeah. like, yeah, you everything was okay. <laughs> But I did have little children. I did have yeah. little children. There was a big juggle. That was a huge juggle. I remember my my son Joe. My son Joe was only two. I think it was yeah. two thousand and five. My son Joe was only two. My daughter Mia was only five. So yeah, it was a it was a juggle. Yeah, and I was in that world. I was in that world of you know. So it worked um, out. It fed it. Yeah, I, <laughs> yeah, I guess. But like, but it's interesting because like, you know, as the type of actor you are and, you know, you you are British and like you were saying earlier that people assume because you speak well and, and that you had all this training or whatnot. But you don't it doesn't seem like you're you're detached from Shakespeare, which is unique for a British actor. Do yeah. you, I, I've done one piece of Shakespeare in my life and it was it was terrifying, absolutely terrifying. Oh, my yeah. God. And I don't, I don't know that I ever really want to do it again, to be honest with you. You know, people say, oh, I don't get Shakespeare. It's like a foreign language. 
actually yeah it kind of is yeah it is I <laughs> you know it, and it's beautiful when it's done very very well which it never has been by me but it is of staggering i mean you know but you didn't train God, with it this the bard no, no i, know, I certainly did not but that's so like, i had no idea what i was doing that's so interesting to me because that's why that's what makes you unique is that you know because your ability to like you, in talking to you and i assume this is true because you're one of these people that I feel like I've somehow I knew because I've I've seen you for your whole life. So like there's a relationship <laughs> that one builds as an audience with like, oh, there she is. I remember her from when she was a little girl. But <laughs> it's funny, actually, that isn't it? It's yeah. hilarious. <laughs> but but there is a visceral engagement that you have with emotional life. That is not that you can't pretend it. You can't classically train that into somebody. And I think it's what separates you. You know, I try and not use, you know, like labels or, 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 or words. But, you know, some people will often say to me, oh, do you think you're method? Are you a bit method? And I'm like, ugh, ugh, method. No, no. Ugh. Yeah, I know what you but, mean. Yeah. But, but, you know, but, but you're right. Like as an actor, quite honestly, my MO is, okay, what can I get for free? Like, what can I get out of this situation, this costume, this scene, this location? <laughs> yeah. What can I get for free? And with Mary Anning, yeah. I had to take as much as I could because it's a character who existed in 1840, right. you know. And sometimes you can draw parallels to your own life or bits of your past life. And sometimes you just can't. That's and with Mary, I couldn't. I had to fully invent the lot of it. So getting for free is, you mean by like, you know, this, like this... And I only know this because of doing some a little acting myself. Is that you know you're you're on the set, you're wearing the hat, you're wearing the clothes. You know you've got, mm. and it's sort of like this is all part of the work. Yeah, I'm not doing it, but it's making my job easier. And if I can live in this, then then we'll pull this off. Yeah, but it can also be, you know, you've woken up that morning, you didn't sleep too well, you have three cups of coffee and then you feel like crap and you're walking onto the set and you're in that costume and you're doing that. Well, you have not set yourself up too well for that day, right. so you better damn well use what you've done to yourself right. to get through the day. And sometimes that can also be quite useful or it can just be, you know, I've had a phone call on the way to work that just didn't go quite according to plan or I wasn't able to fully complete and it's left me feeling somewhat frustrated. Well, that will end up going into that character for that day in some form, you know. Yeah. It it, it just, sometimes that does just happen, you know. Frustrating things will throw you and you just, rather than go, oh, I can't do it because that happened, you have to say, well, actually, maybe I can do it because that happened. Okay, what can I use for free from that thing? I see. Okay, right. It, so I it, try and do. I just try and do that. <laughs> well, but the but but so that but so the trick then is really just how do I get present with where I'm at now and and service this character as opposed That's to right. pretend or or yeah. act in a way. That's right. And so with like with Mary Anning, you know, I would absolutely not use my phone until the end of each day. I wouldn't even switch it on because then I would be too engaged with the sort of the busyness of iPhone and oh, the yeah, yeah, yeah. you know contemporary right. world right, of right. it all and. And I wouldn't do that. I would, you know, I would drive myself to work. I would stay in my own headspace. I sort of created this sort of bunker for Mary and me to kind of exist in, um, which was quite weird and a bit hard. And, you know, it was definitely an experience, you know, that was a bit unusual in terms of, you know, being a bit emotionally absent from my own little family, you know. 
um, I was very much somewhere else, you know, um, right. and just not 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 particularly available. That's good from, though. You know, Monday till Friday, it was good, but it was it was hard. I mean, I'm not going to lie; it was it was hard. Um, but um, luckily, I've got an utterly amazing husband who can do everything in my absence. Thank God. What's it? What does he do? What does your husband do? He looks after us all. <laughs> okay, good. Yeah, good. He's just wonderful. I've just yeah, been told that we have to uh, we have to wrap it up. Okay. Um, but this was great. It was great talking to you. Great talking to you too. Thank you. That was really great. Love that. And uh, I love the movie, and I and I love the uh, I love all the work. I'm a big fan, and uh, and uh, good luck with everything you know and promoting this thing because I think you. it should be seen. Thank you very much. Yeah. Well, hopefully. Okay. Take care. Take care. Bye. Thank you. Bye. <laughs> Okay, that's it. Hopefully, we'll see what happens. I don't know. I don't know. What's today? Thursday? So I'm not going to talk to you till Monday? Holy fuck. Good luck, everybody. Be safe. I'll play some guitar now. Fonda, cat angels everywhere.